This morning we're in Psalms, the 68th chapter, starting with the fourth verse. Sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rise on the clouds. Rejoice before him, his name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, he leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Good morning. Thinking about this concept of going from do to done. Um, I'm, I'm, you may probably don't know this about me, but I, I make lists. I make to-do lists. My only problem is I'm not very good at getting to the to-done list. I make really good to-do lists. And I've kind of been evaluating myself on this. And my thing when I make a list, and, and I may have been guilty of doing this at times, sitting here on a Sunday, so I won't judge you if you do this. And I'm, I'm a multitasker, and so in my mind I'm listening to Randy, but I'm also making this subconscious list of everything that I need to get done this week. And they're usually good things, and, and they're usually things that truly need to get done, but I rarely get to mark them off. I rarely get to the done side. So that's a good feeling, right? If you're a list maker and you've ever done this, if you've ever done it at all, to get to that point where you cross everything off. And one, one thing I realize about myself with my list is that I get a little too ahead of myself. You know, I look at Chelsea and when Chelsea's going to have a productive day, she will make a list and that list will start off really simple. Uh, it, it'll be some things that are things she does every single day, but there's this motivation that happens where she starts to cross things off, and then by the end of the day, she crosses everything off. And when I make a list, I'll put things on there like, write a book. Um, <laughs> that's a good thing, right? Except I don't even know what I want to write a book about yet, so I should put, come up with a title for a book, come up with a topic for a book, and I can get way ahead of myself. I can overcomplicate what it is that I need to be doing. See, I think we're all built to want to know what it is I need to do. Anytime that I do something for the first time, I ask that question. If I'm going to help somebody lay a hardwood floor for the first time, and that's something that I haven't ever done before. I haven't ever laid a hardwood floor, and so I show up, and I'm helping somebody who's done it before, and my first question I'm going to ask is, what do I need to do? What do you need from me to be able to accomplish the task? And I think that's the way most of us function. When we start something that we're inexperienced with, we ask the question of, what do I need to do? And when it comes to our faith, it's an honest and a natural question to ask what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And to have confidence in the statement that this, that God says, do. God does say to do. And we can look at this, and sometimes, especially non-Christians, but sometimes even Christians, we can look at this as a to-do or to-don't list. We, we look at, at these things that we're supposed to do in our life and things that we're supposed to don't in our life, to not do in our life. And we kind of look at it sometimes as maybe God taking away from us, as God keeping us busy, as God giving us a list of all these tasks, of all these things that we need to do to keep us busy, and God's giving them to us not to keep us busy, 
but to make us better. Uh, the things that God gives us are not to keep us busy, but they're to make us better. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not challenging. Uh, I'd actually go the other side of that. I think they're very challenging. But everything in life that makes us better is. And in Luke chapter 6, if you'd like to flip over there, in Luke chapter 6, there's a little bit longer of a passage, but when we're thinking about this to-do list, it's one of the first thoughts that I go to because it's a list here. Now, it's a list that Jesus gives us of things to do in our faith, and they're definitely challenging. In Luke chapter 6, in verse 27, he says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Off to a good start, right? Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. If someone takes your coat, you see these actions, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone does not, anyone takes what you belong, do not demand it back. And then the simple one that we've been saying since we were little kids, do to others as you would have them do to you. Flipping down to verse 36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Judging others, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And this last one, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, we poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When we look at some of these statements, statements that Jesus gave us to love our enemy, to do good to people. The simple fact of to treat other people the way we want to be treated. These are things that we're thinking about our to-do list as Christians. They're really easy to throw out there, but they're harder to live. They're harder to actually be something that we put into place every single day of our life. Do good. It's that simple. Jesus tells us to do good even when it's the hard things. He's not doing this to keep us busy. He's doing this to help us to actually have a better life. It says to do good. To do better, to do equals better. But he also says simply this, do what I said. Do what I said. In Luke 6, if you read a little further down in verse 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I'd say everyone in here has had some experience with this. You're experiencing something. You understand it. People in your life know that you understand it. So they come to you and they ask you for advice on this. You think about a personal trainer or a dietitian, because most people can relate to this. You come to a personal trainer or a dietitian and you pay this person to tell you what you need to do. You pay this person to give you a lineup of exactly what it is you need. And how frustrated do these people get? When over and over again, people hear them, people know exactly what they should do, and then they walk away and they do the exact opposite. So because what we do a lot of the time is we hear that and we hear exactly what we need to get in shape. We hear what they're saying, we believe what they're saying, but then we walk away and we say, you know, I, he's got some good points, 
but I think I could probably lose 10 pounds and still eat a box of Twinkies every day. I think that's possible for me in my life, and I get what he's saying, but for me, I think it's a little different. Otherwise, I think I can go another way. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Why do we come to God on Sundays, every day of our life, and say, Lord, Lord, Pray this prayer. Tell me what I need to do. Lord, Lord, guide me. God, take me there. And then when he does it, or when he tells us, we look the other way. Right after this passage, he goes into the wise and foolish builder. And he describes a man who one man hears, and he builds his house upon the sand. And the other man hears, and we've been seeing it since we were little kids, he builds his house on the rock. See, the difference in the wise and the foolish builder wasn't their knowledge, it was their action. The difference in the wise and foolish builder wasn't their knowledge, it was their action. They both understood it, just one wanted to take the cheap way and one wanted to take the real way. And when it comes to our faith, when it comes to doing it, do what he said. And there's going to be things that come naturally for you. There are things that are in this book, things that are in the Bible that God tells us that are going to come really easy to you. But the things that don't, just because something doesn't come naturally to you, it doesn't give you an out. And I think we've done a bad job of maybe misteaching this. A lot of people have done a bad job of misteaching this because we say, find your gift. And I absolutely believe in that. But when you find your gift... It doesn't mean that you get to give up part of what God tells us. See, just because it's not your gift doesn't mean it's not God's gift. The reason he gives us so many of these things is because it's God's gift. It's his gift to us and his gift to the world. You know, today, I don't know if you realize it, it's Orphan Sunday in the United States. A day when so many people are thinking about orphans in our community. And there are all different kinds of ways that you can get involved. All different kinds of ways that you can help an orphan. And you may say, that's not my gift because I'm not going to adopt. That's not my gift because I, I'm just not somebody who could be a foster parent. It doesn't mean that you don't help the orphans and widows simply because that's not your specific gift. Do what God says. Simply that. And do it now. God says to do it now. In James chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, it says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city and spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. If it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In other words, if I have another day, I will do. If I have, when, I, when I'm making plans for my life, when I'm making plans in my faith, when I'm making plans with my family, if I have another day, I will do But get this, if I don't have another day, 
I'll be confident I've done. That I'm going to live my life, that if I have another day, I have zero doubt that I will do good. But if I don't have another day on this earth, I will live today in confidence that tomorrow I will have done what I was supposed to do. I will have lived in the way I was supposed to do. See, tomorrow is one of our most precious gifts, but it's also one of the things that holds us back the most. We have this thing that's sitting out there that can make us stop and make us think and make us plan in ways that keep us from actually living out our today. Read down a couple other verses. In verse 17, he says, If anyone knows to do good and doesn't do it, it's sin. If anyone knows to do good, do good, and doesn't do it, it's sin. Do to be better. Do what God says, but do it now. Don't live your life in all this anticipation of what you're going to do someday. Make the plans right now that you're going to start living in the way that this is one of the most scary verses. There's not a person in here that doesn't read over this verse, I would assume, every time and think, I've start, got to start living differently. And it's so easy to walk in way and finish the statement tomorrow instead of what James is telling us to start living differently to start doing good because you know the what what you need to be doing start doing it right now next thought God is still doing God says for us to do but God is still doing and that should be one of the most refreshing things that we hear this morning that God is still doing few different things God is still doing first off in you God is still doing in you God is still working in you in Philippians 2 and verse 13 says for is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose God who works in you we can look sometimes as Christians we can think I've been transformed I've been crucified with Christ. And that's the truth. But just because you've been transformed doesn't mean you're not being transformed. Just because you've been transformed into a new person doesn't mean you're not still being transformed. You see in Romans 12 when he says, he says, by the renewing of your mind, this constant thing, ongoing process, Just because you've been transformed and made new doesn't mean God's not still working, still doing in you. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 26, it says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working in you. God is working in you, and he's working in your life, and he is constantly transforming you into a different person to be more like him. God is in you. And God's also working through you. So there's a difference here in God working in you 
and God working through you. So God uses you constantly. God is using you to transform life. He's using you to change lives. It's been a lot verse that, that was popular already, but it's become so much more popular in sports. It's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we see it everywhere. Almost to a point now that's almost come, become like John 3.16 used to be when it comes to seeing it on signs and it can lose its power and we can forget what it's actually saying. But what that's saying is God is working through you. When you believe that, when you say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, through Him who gives me strength, you're saying, I believe that God is working through me, and because of that, I have no doubt on what I can accomplish. Because of that, I have no doubt that I can do all these things. God is working through you. Ephesians 2, verse 10, He calls us His handiwork, His workmanship, created to do good things. God is still doing things in you, but God is still doing things through your life. He's using us as individuals. He's using us as a congregation if we just allow Him to. If we allow Him to use us to work in our community. And this last thought on this one, God is using, God is doing in spite of you. God is still doing in spite of you. And what I mean by that is that we have a lot of flaws. And because of that, sometimes we can think that God can't do through me, uh, He can't do in me, or He's just not going to. And God is doing, God is working in spite of you. God's working uh, in spite of your doubts. God's working in spite of your doubts. I think one of the things that can hold us up the most in our faith is our doubts. Not because it's holding up God, because it's stopping us, not God. God is not shaken by your doubts. It may mess with you, but it's not messing with God. You see, because we think about these things, it's easy to say God's a provider when your table's full. It's easy to say God's a healer when you have a clean bill of health, we have nothing hurting in your life. And flipping back to the verse we just talked about, it's easy to say, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. When you haven't really needed strength. When you haven't really been in a situation that's challenged you to the point of actually believing this. If you've never had a doubt if you've never struggled with doubt in any area of your faith, then you need to start challenging yourself a little more. Because every single person should have a doubt at some point. And then every person should reach their point of confidence where they realize God's still doing. God is still doing in my life despite my doubts. God is a provider. God is a healer. And I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. God's working in spite of your doubts. He's working in spite of your past. He's working in spite of your past. See, everybody has one. Every single person in here has some sort of past. 
And I would be willing to say that every person in here has some part of your past that you're not proud of. And we don't share it every, every day. We don't share it in every conversation we're in. And that's, that's okay. That, that's not a bad thing. But I think for us, a lot of times we look in the mirror and we think, my past is the reason that God can't be doing stuff with me. My, my past is the reason that God can't be working in my life. And I think God actually looks down and says the opposite. He says, your past is the thing I'm going to use to work the most in your life. Whether that's good or bad, whether that's a heartbreak or a heartache or a struggle or a huge sin or a public sin or a private sin, that God is going to use your past more than He's ever going to use anything that you're just so proud of. Anything that you just wear on your banister that you hold up as a trophy. So have confidence that God is working in spite of you, in spite of your past, and maybe um, actually more through your past, more through your failures, more through your mistakes, more through the things that you try to hide. God's saying, own it. Own it. Grow from it. Use it. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think our greatest misery can be our greatest ministry. Our thing that we're looking at in our past, and everybody has it here, the thing that you're looking at in your past, and maybe it's your present right now, honestly, that's our greatest misery. And all we want to do is to hide it. Because we think God can't work through me, God won't work through me if people know this, and for sure nobody's even going to want to be around me. And I think our greatest misery can 100% become our greatest ministry greatest way we can help other people. And God's working in spite of your passiveness. In spite of our passiveness. I heard this said, you meet some people who are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. You meet some people who are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And for some of you, you struggle with that phrase. Because you honestly thought right now, can I be too heavenly minded? What this is saying is that we can live in a I've got it mentality of, man, I've got it. I've got Jesus. I've got God. I've got faith. I'm one of the lucky ones. And then do nothing when it comes to our community, when it comes to the people we love around us that we know are lost. See, God's still working in spite of your passiveness. God wants us to be active. God wants us to do in our community, but listen to this, God's still working in spite of the times when we don't. I hope that I feel like we're on the way to rising up and actually being that in our community. But God is working every single day in Columbia, Tennessee, in spite of the fact that sometimes we sit on our tails. In fact, despite that most the fact in spite of the fact that most of the time we spend our week doing nothing. God is still doing in spite of us. And then final point. God says done. 
God says done. God says do. God is still doing. And God says done. Uh, if we're not careful, you know, we think about these things, the things I'm talking about this morning. Uh, if we're not careful, we can adopt a gospel of do, 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 and forget about the gospel of done. A lot, a lot of the times we want to make it act like uh, grace and action conflict with one another. And it's so backwards. Grace and action, grace and doing go exactly hand in hand. So if we're not careful, we can adopt this gospel of do, do, do and forget about the gospel of done. If we're not careful on the other side, we can adopt the gospel of done and forget all about the gospel of do. That God changes us. That we do differently because of Him. In Galatians 1, verse 6, it says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Paul's writing this to the church at Galatia. Still works for us. If we have the gospel of Christ, the gospel that is living in the grace of Christ, we abandon that, and we quickly do. It's really no gospel at all. Ephesians 2 and verses 8 and 9, uh, right before the workmanship verse we read earlier. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. God looks at our life and says, if it's not good, it's not done. You know, in Romans 8 and verse 28 that we read earlier, if it's not good, if, if, we, if we believe that verse, and like I said, there's going to be times you doubt in your life, there's going to be times you struggle with the thought of all things work together for good to those who love God. But if we believe that verse, then we believe that God is not done with a situation that's not good. That God's not done using it. And there's so many times in my young life already. I'm 32, that's still young life, okay? My young life that I've looked back already and thought, God wasn't done. There, it was a time of, of intense heartache, of shame, of pain. And God wasn't done. And I look back at some of those same situations now, I think it's good. It's good. God wasn't done, but it's good. And the same thing when it comes to the gospel. When it comes to the pure gospel of Christ. The good news. If it's good, if it's done, don't try and change it. Don't try and manipulate it. That's what Paul was so floored by because he's saying, you've so quickly turned away from something that was so perfect. And we look at this and we shake our heads, but then we do the same thing. We can't change what God's already done. And then God says done, but he also says well done. God says well done. Uh, In the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 25, uh, he talks about the talents or the bags of gold. And you know how the story goes. That as he gets to the last person with one bag 
he's not able to say what he said to the others of, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he flips down, and in verses 35 and 36, we, say, we see the righteous doubting, when did we do this? And Jesus says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Whatever you did to the least of these, you did for me. It's in this parable, we read it, and we hear to the people who are good stewards, we hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And we hear that often, we hear it quoted all the time of this day when we get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your place of rest. And what can happen is we can misconstrue this story into doing equals earning. And the story of the servants and the master wasn't doing equals earning. It was doing equals knowing. You notice when it came to the last man, he says, if you say you knew me, you knew exactly who I was. That's what always gets me about the story. You knew who I was. And you didn't act. See, the others, it wasn't about earning. So, you see, we can misconstrue this doing to make it into a, to a gospel of, of, I've got to earn this. And the done is knowing God. Doing isn't earning. Doing is knowing God. When we know our God, we're going to start doing. And final thought. It's done. God says it's done. One of the most beautiful passages in John 19, verses 28 through 30. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I like the way the message says it. It says, it's done complete. God said, it's done. Have you ever had a time in life where you were, you had something that was done? It was done. And you tried to make it better? For me, when I look at something that's perfect, and every time in my life when I've looked at something that was perfect and I've tried to make it better, something that was done, I'm talking about truly, I'm not talking about something that could use some tweak, I'm talking about something that was truly done. I usually messed it up. Because I look at something that was done, and then I try to improve upon perfection. I try and improve upon what is already finished. And we can do the same thing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can look at what Jesus said of, it is done, complete, finished, and have confidence that we are living in the perfect gospel. 
that we are living in the grace of Jesus Christ and go out and do something, live differently. There's a song that's out by Big Daddy Weave. That's a great name, right? Big Daddy Weave. That was actually, if I'd become a music artist, what I was going to be called, so uh, he took it from me. But it's called I'm Redeemed. And he says these lyrics. Seems like all I could see was the struggle. Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past. Bound up in shackles of all my failures. Wondering how long is this going to last. Then you look at this prisoner and say to me, son, stop fighting a fight that's already been won. I am redeemed. You set me free. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel that says do, a gospel that's still 100% active and living and doing in your life, in our life as a body of Christ here at West 7th. But it's also a body, a, a gospel that says done. A gospel that says stop fighting a fight that's already been won and start living for me. See, because we can be so hampered by our past failures and successes that we never start actually living our faith in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning, you need anything at all. Uh, We want to be that for you. I want to be here for you as a church family. Uh, If you need prayers, we know that there's a lot of heartache, a lot of things happening in different people's lives. And uh, if you need prayers publicly, if you need them privately later on with one of our shepherds, uh, I want you to come forward and ask for that. But right now, if you need to put on Christ in baptism, to truly die to your old self and start a new life in him, if we can help you in any way at all, would you come as we stand and sing?